0: Before we begin with chapter 4, if you remember in our previous class, before we begin we'll just talk a little bit again about the, uh, the Gunas and especially just again re-establish the different ways to look at the Gunas, to interact with the world based on it. If you remember even previously, several times Krishna mentions to Arjuna and i'm paraphrasing here but essentially he said something like the man of wisdom aware and understanding that all of nature is a play of the gunas is neither bewildered by the ignorant nor is he too ecstatic by you know the wonders that this world has to produce so essentially krishna is once again as he's given us tool after tool, perspective after perspective, ability after ability of how to kind of place the rudder of our life and understanding as we move forward and he's brought our attention several times to the gunas and as fascinating as it was the last class we talked about the gunas and the caste system as it relates to our own consciousness, it will be helpful once again To come back to that understanding what Krishna is essentially saying, which is very beautiful but because it also creates a certain impersonality, is that everything in this universe is a mixture of the gunas, whether it be Sathvik, or Tamasik, it's all just an interplay of the gunas. So when we're talking about us interacting with the world, it's really our gunas interacting with the gunas of the person, of the food we eat, of the circumstance, of the place that we are in, of the, weather. of the weather. I mean, it's a fascinating way to just create a new outlook of, ah, this is what's happening. And then not saying, oh, this is what's happening, so I'm subject to the gunas. Then to realize that, ah, this is a directional, ladder for me to be climbing, so if right now I'm relating a, to a, on a much more tamasic level, then I know if I get a little more rajas going, that will naturally lift me up. And it's an interesting way to, for us to look at everything in life. First, of course, we should look at our own selves, look at our own thoughts. Every thought is vibrating with one, more, one prominent guna over the other every word as we were saying last time the quality of our voice reflects the gunas, the play of the gunas the way we perceive life reflects the way the play of the gunas food greatly reflects the play of the gunas and so you can use so many different ways to say okay, if I need to move up here, say somebody who's again I mean unfortunately I'm using the example of Thomas, but I don't mean to necessarily, but it's just It helps us understand, okay, if somebody is really, really, really low, the foods that they should have would probably be foods that have a lot of rajasic energy in them, just so that just the quality of the food imbibed into the body kind of injects into our system a little bit more rajas. And that alone can perhaps have the required effect to move this person from one state to the other. And that just helps us and for those of us who are very restless you know, are tend to do a lot and have a lot of energy but the energy is not focused, it's not calm. For us we have to start thinking about okay what is my diet usually consist of and then start gently introducing more of those sattvic things and so it's not one size fits all here and it's often not even one day fits all and doesn't that make life just so much more fun sometimes i was thinking about how we interact with our environment and a sattvic environment also requires a sattvic outlook within to actually have the desired effect i was thinking in terms of also east and west a lot every time we go and visit say the united states or even europe you know it's It's quite amazing just the sattva that is outwardly expressed in terms of cleanliness, orderliness, everything works, everything functions. There's outward harmony, cooperation, understanding between, in general, of course, every place has all three gunas playing. But when we spend time there, as beautiful as it is, After a while, you know, it's just, if our own gunas aren't perfectly in harmony with that, it's like, after a while, it's just like, you know what, this is nice. Yeah, the world works, you know, it's just, I don't need to work that hard. I don't need to fight against this too much. And for some people, that might force their energy to go down and they won't no longer seek as actively freedom from... This material plane. On the other hand, if you think about the East, we think about India. Outwardly, you know, there is not necessarily that sattvic guna uh, that apparent. You've got, you know, cleanliness is always an issue. Chaos is always an issue. Birds, and, huh? <laughs> the birds, the birds every morning that come, the crows that come to wake Narayani up with their gentle <laughs> lullabies. So. But you've got that side of it, but for some of us, the way our gunas are, it's even more like, ah, this world doesn't work. This isn't where my happiness is. And it's almost like a catalyst for us to want to grow more, to escape faster. So it's a very fascinating play that's happening. It's not an inert reality. It's not like, this has this guna, this has this guna, this has this guna, I have this guna. It is the interaction of the gunas. It is the interaction of that consciousness of the various castes that play out inside us with what is outside us. That's really what's fascinating here. And where each of us as devotees of Krishna, as those who are receiving this wisdom, each of us now can start to look at it in these real fun ways. How is this happening? How is this interacting? Again, be very careful. Don't judge. Don't label. You know, that's the last thing we want to do. I am all, you know, this is my Guna, this is that person's Guna. The beauty of the Gunas is that it's just all changing. about changing it and moving directionally. And so, again, it's about people when I think about people. Always try to be with a person who has. The consciousness of a guna above you that is a natural magnet to draw your energy in that direction as well so anytime you feel I'm feeling really restless right now so I'm feeling a lot of Rajas and also tune in to where is this Rajas is it the Vaishya Rajas which is is much more about you is it the Kshatriya Rajas which is it much about other people but then say okay I want to I wanna hang out with people who are the Brahmin sattva energy that they're expressing more outwardly. And this way, again, day by day, the beauty here is day by day, I live by conscious choice and understanding. That my days aren't random. That the decisions I make aren't just random. But that each of them are consciously placed and taken to lift me up one rung further on this ladder towards Triguna Rahitam to go beyond the gr- Gunas. And the idea is not to stay in Sattva because, interestingly, and I we mentioned this last time, to an untrained eye, Sattva and Tamas sometimes look very similar. That is why it's important not to just copy people outwardly, but watch what your consciousness is doing as a result. Because, complacency and laziness very easily can be mistaken for deep relaxation and so when I see somebody is just deeply relaxed and you just feed, they don't do much and there's a certain ease so I think I want to be like that guy so I also start not doing much and just relax a lot you know, but that's tamas and one is sattva. Similarly indifference can often be mistaken by the untrained eye as contentment Contentment being a sattvic quality, indifference being a tamasic quality. So again, you need to be very honest, very aware. This is what the gunas is about. It's all about awareness. Awareness of your environment, of the world, awareness of yourself. And so, just to kind of, since we mentioned, we'll perhaps touch a little bit on this. And uh, it's just so fun, and it's so fascinating, and it's so helpful. There's something you can actually do with it. It's not theory. It's not like, isn't that nice? Yeah, let me make a list of all the gunas and all the gunas that are around me. No. How am I interacting with them? And how does Rajas interact with Rajas, Tamas with Rajas, Sattva with Rajas? And all of that creates an infinite possibilities of interactions and responses. So go figure all of them out if you can. Now let's begin with chapter 4. The exalted Lord said to Arjuna, I gave this imperishable yoga to Vivaswat, the sun god, also known as Surya. Vivaswat passed on the knowledge to Manu. Now Manu, many of us know, was the original lawgiver, in fact He is the one who came up with the caste system. So essentially he is the one who helped establish dharma as a way of life. Manu taught it to Ikshvaku, who is the founder of the solar dynasty of the Kshatriyas, who are called the Suryavanshis. Thus handed down in orderly succession, the raja or the royal sages knew it with the long passage of time however o scorcher of foes arjuna this knowledge of yoga has become greatly diminished on earth so krishna of course is saying several different things by this brief introduction one of course he's talking about how ancient not only ancient, how eternal this wisdom of yoga. He calls it the imperishable yoga, which is just beautiful. Um, Swami Kriyananda, in giving the example of how yoga is such an eternal reality, he used the example of mathematics as well. He says, you can take all the books on mathematics, you can take all the people currently who know mathematics and you know destroy them all, But sooner or later, just by the very fact that the entire universe is created based on these mathematical realities Mathematics, someone or the other will discover it Similarly with yoga We can throw all the scriptures, all the Vedas, all the Bibles, all whatever you want All the words of God and hide them, destroy them But the imperishable yoga will forever be awake in those who seek union. And all our hearts are seeking union. However, Krishna then brings Arjuna's awareness to the fact that there is certain loss in the passage of time. He talks about how he gave it to Surya, to Vivasvat. Now, Surya here also represents light. So essentially, he's talking about it from its highest perspective. Then it came down to Manu. Manu is the lawgiver, more outwardly, it was given from its pure light, uh, pure vibrationless state. It was then given an outward garb. Then it went into the Kshatriyas, into the Rajas, into the solar dynasty, the Suryavanshis. As in, it was then given from. Let's see how the caste system comes here. The light is complete, uh, you know, Triguna Rahitam, the Turiya state. Comes to the lawgiver, comes to the Brahman, who essentially puts it out in how Dharma should be expressed. Comes to the Kshatriya, and it goes down and down as it as in it comes down and trickles down into every aspect of our lives, but also as time progresses, and here essentially, Krishna is talking about the system of the yugas. Now we know the yugas are four. What else are we working with? We are also working with the four castes and you can essentially superimpose the two on each other. You have got Kali Yuga, Dwapar, Satya. So Kali is when the Chudra consciousness is most prevalent. That the mass consciousness has in it The Shudra mentality more. And what is Shudra mentality? Fixed realities, fixed natures. This is all there is. There is nothing more than this. And that we see the entire world was so form based. Spirituality was so form based. Large institutions, churches, temples, rituals. It was all about this is all there is. Gods in so many forms. I'm a Shiva Bhakta, I'm a Vishnu Bhakta, I'm a this Bhakta and this is all there is and nothing other than this exists then of course Dwapar Yuga comes and Dwapar Yuga is the age of energy it is when the Shudra begins to say there is more and enters into the um, Vaishya consciousness and we are in Dwapar Yuga now as Swami Sri Yukteswar so beautifully so logically establishes in his book The Holy Science which, if you haven't ever read, we highly recommend. Because traditionally, we believe that Kali Yuga is still continuing. And I'll address that again. But the way Sri Yukteswarji said, in the 1700s, we had the cusp, the transition from Kali Yuga to Dwapur. And we're now just finally in Dwapur proper. But that is when, it were in the 1700s, where the finer electricities. And energies were starting to be discovered. Gravity, Newton came in, the steam engine came in, industrial revolution comes in, Einstein's theory of relativity that mathematically proves that all matter is in fact energy. So the age of energy comes in, but you see, in the age of energy, it's the Vaisha consciousness. Who runs the world right now? <laughs> the corporates, the businessmen. Even the politicians are only doing their bidding, which is fine. I mean, it's not a complaint. I mean, look at Donald Trump in the United States. He's the epitome of the Vaisha consciousness, a businessman himself, now the leader of, as they like to call it, the free world. (laughs) But this is just for us to help understand how we should interact with this world. And for those of us who are interested in expressing higher consciousness, it's not that we're stuck in a Vaisha consciousness. We're free. As long as inside our consciousness is strong, we're not necessarily caught in that. However, our interactions with the world also depend on what the consciousness of the world is. But there we've come into Dwapar-yug. Then you go into Treta-yug. In Treta-yug, it's the Kshatriya consciousness. Uh, Swami Sri Yukteswar calls it the age of magnetism and of uh, discrimination. And in that, it's all about the larger picture. And then, of course, Satyug comes and in Satyug, every, the majority of the mass consciousness is well aware of God's not only his presence, but his energy behind everything. In Satyug, the person who would be considered the ta- most tamasic of person will probably be considered mm. fairly mm. sattvic in our age now. But you just see how relative it is, the, the energies are in this world. And the cycle of these four yugas are constantly rotating such that it is Kalyug, Dwapar, Treta, Satyug, Satyug, Treta, Dwapar, Kalyug, Kalyug. And it cycles through. Every 1200 years is half a cycle and then another 1200 years. So for 2400 years, or sorry, 24000 years, Swami Sri Yukteswar explained, this yoga cycle continues. And what Krishna is referring to here is as they moved from when this knowledge, this wisdom, this imperishable Yoga was given in the Satyug, in the Age of Light, it then passed through and little by little by little by little it was not lost, it was greatly diminished. Because even in Kalyug, for all their outward forms and rituals, the intention was still there to unite with God. Most people were not aware of that intention. You know, I could take a ritual such as the arati, which is such a beautiful thing, where it represents the little light, the candle, the flame that is within us. I'm offering to the infinite light that is you. So that's the exchange that is taking place in an arati. Now, That could be somebody waving a candle in front of a murti or that could be the devotee offering that light which is a spark of the divine that he knows exists inside him and he's wanting that little light to merge into the infinite light of uh, the divine, of the deity that he is worshipping and so it's about the consciousness behind it all these things were created from a high consciousness but as the yugas naturally descended that awareness got more and more diminished here however then Krishna goes on to say today I have taught you my devotee and friend the ancient science of yoga the secret to the highest blessing to mankind he told us what our greatest enemies were in the previous uh, chapter, now he's telling us what our highest blessing is and what is the highest blessing? The ancient science of yoga the moment of Mahabharat, where the war is going on is an interesting time because that is the transition from the descending Dwapara into descending Kaliyuga. In, right in the middle of the war itself the transition takes place so it's interesting that Krishna says, I revealed it first to Surya, to Light, to Vivasvat. Who related it to Manu, to Ikshvaku, to the Rajarishis and thus it diminished over time and now I relate it to you. And let's fast forward in the 1800s when Babaji at the same cusp, but this time the ascending Kali you're going into ascending Dwapar. Same thing, Dwapar Kalyug transition here, dwapur Kalyug transition here. What does Babaji say to Lahiri Mahashaya? This long lost art of Kriya Yoga that was hidden in secrecy in the high Himalayas because the consciousness of man could not perceive it, now the time has come once again to introduce it. Because as the consciousness once again moves upward. And we can see, look at the children of today Already their awareness is far greater than we ever had Smarter, quicker, more sensitive to vibration even And so we're seeing this awakening, this rising of consciousness And Babaji, just like Krishna introducing At a time where consciousness was shifting to Arjuna Now Babaji does the same, and of course for those of you who know and are part of this Kriya tradition, our Guru Paramahansa Yogananda said that Babaji in fact was Krishna in that previous incarnation. And you see these same infinite God-realized souls coming again and again, moving our evolution forward. Isn't that beautiful? However, here there's two other things that I want to focus on, what Krishna says. Today I have taught you, my devotee and friend, the ancient science of yoga. Swami Kriyananda in the big fat Gita, he really focuses on the word friend. Not just because uh, Krishna and Arjuna were also outwardly in those particular forms, friends. But he's talking about there comes a time where you're no longer just a devotee of your Guru, but you become a friend of your Guru. And he says this is a turning point in the devotee's life. And it is at this point that the devotee receives from the Guru the highest or the most that he is able to. Why? The friendship, Paramahansa Yogananda Ji always said, friendship is on this earthly plane, the highest and purest expression of a relationship. Because it carries with it, and this is what we are talking about of course true friendship, it carries with it no obligation or expectation. So Krishna here is I mean, just the subtlety of Ved as he plants these tiny little things in here. So that those of us, like Swami Kriyananda, who can pick up on these things, and help us pick up on them as well, we start to have these little breadcrumbs that guide our path. Ah, First, I'm a devotee. So the devotee relationship, of course, what is the devotee relationship? Of reverence, of worship, which is beautiful to first establish. I mean, it's really the most fulfilling relationship there is. Once you realize who your Guru is, it's like, "Ah, I just want to give you everything. But in there, there is this, there is this little bit of Vaisha consciousness. You know, I'm your devotee, and there is this separation. But then the devotee, as he practices, as he deepens and develops his relationship, it never doesn't shift. You are still a devotee, you're still a disciple. You've not become an equal of your guru. where But the relationship is now of equals in the sense of there's no obligation, there's no expectation. I love you because I love you. I give you because I give you. I worship you because I worship you. And when that relationship gets established, and it's a very crucial point for each of us to establish that relationship with our, with our guru. Then, he says here, now i am teaching you he's been krishna's friend throughout arjuna he's been receiving from krishna since his childhood but now krishna is ready to reveal to him the ancient science of yoga which is the secret to the highest blessing for mankind beautiful but now arjuna he's playing our part you know the little ignorant the little confused devotee he says, Arjuna said, Vivaswat lived in far-off antiquity, whereas you are of recent birth. How am I to take this statement that it was you who first taught this sacred yoga to mankind? Just again, just helping all of us say, bring it down. You know, I know, I know it sounds beautiful. Ah oh, Krishna, he taught it to this person and then he taught it to that person. But Arjuna is really helping, he's drawing out of Krishna that which you and I are going to need. Not because we're doubting, like, where was Krishna back then as well? It's not about intellectual. It's how do I attune to the Guru? How do I attune to a self-realized master? How do I attune to God himself? To understand his play better. And so Arjuna, of course, is. Creating is laying the the footwork so that Krishna has these different ways that he reveals himself to us. The blessed Lord said. Before I just want us to come back to an understanding that perhaps we've moved on from because we established it in our first two classes. Remember that this dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna, where is it taking place? Just so that we don't think that this is happening, you know, between Krishna and Arjuna on the outward battlefield. Who is narrating this conversation? Sanjaya. Who is he narrating it to? Dhritarashtra. Introspection, which Sanjaya represents. Sharing, narrating to the blind mind, which Dhritarashtra represents. What is the introspection? This... Keep remembering this is an inward conversation that you are having as the devotee with your soul. So this relationship is not just Guru, Disciple, God, Devotee. This is the relationship of the soul with the ego that aspires. The devotee within us. So it's helpful to just come back to that so... You know, otherwise we get caught up in the outward forms of Krishna and Arjuna just back to the fact that, oh wait a minute ah, this is my conversation this is a conversation I can have every day in my meditations. So if Sanjaya just draws me inward and I get into the center of my shashumna this is where they are in the middle of the two armies then I can converse with Krishna. So what does Krishna say to us in this deep meditation of ours? The blessed Lord said, Many have been my births, and many also yours. I remember all of mine, though you remember yours not. Beautiful. So again, we will come to this, and because later on Krishna, in the next one of course, let me in fact go into the next one so I can address this more uh, fully. Though I am the Lord of all creation and am in my true self and abiding ever in my cosmic nature forever unborn yet I by my Yogamaya assume from time to time an outward form. Now these are two seemingly contradictory verses. On one side Krishna says I have been born many times, I have taken many births, just as you have taken many births. I remember all my births, you don't remember yours. And then he suddenly goes and says, though I am the Lord of all creation, and am in my true self, abiding forever in my cosmic nature, forever unborn, yet I by my yoga maya assume from time to time an outward Form. again we come to this moment of when a self-realized master our guru Paramahansa Yogananda Ji would say when you are with God you are God and this is a very it's not an easy thing for us to really tune into because in our minds we enjoy creating hierarchies He's high up you know even in our own minds we like we tend to like have babaji really really high up there and then everybody else you know kind of somewhere fits in there but master said that anybody who has achieved unity with god is just as much in god with god god as everybody else however they are all playing an outward role which is part of god's yoga Maya. So it's it's helpful. You see, it's very very helpful to to not create this sense that they are this perfect soul. They just came. They just once entered. You know, and their only job is here to show how perfect they are. What's the point of that? I mean, why would God need to be worshipped? What would He gain, possibly? from you and I getting all worked up about him. He's everything, he's everyone, he's bliss, eternal. He's not looking for your or my validation. These great souls united completely with God. They are God, but they have become God just the way we must become God as well. Many births have I lived, O Arjuna, just as you I remember all my births now for now I am united completely with creation now I live completely in my highest cosmic nature and through my yoga maya now I come and play a certain role outwardly I come for purpose time and time again in the next chapter we'll talk in the next class we'll talk about what that purpose is but it's a helpful thing I know it goes against a lot of established tradition where you no, know, it's either Krishna who's the highest and greatest or it's Shiva who's the highest and greatest or it's somebody else but they're just all one they're all just helping us feel, understand, know their example is this is the path we have walked this path This is not an imaginary path that I am saying to you just so that in the end I get you to worship me. They have nothing to gain from our worship. But this is the path I have walked lifetime after lifetime perfecting my consciousness, overcoming my karma, understanding the realities of how the gunas work and working with them. And now, Arjuna, now you, now devotee everywhere. Follow my example, follow my lead. With that, let's see if Narayani has taken some notes for us (laughs) where we can then take what we've just talked about and discussed and put into some practice during this week.
1: I really appreciate how Krishna and Yogananda and then Swami Kriyananda explain the um, yugas and the gunas and how everything is intertwined and we need to apply that in our daily lives. If right now we are in Dwapara Yuga, even our approach to spirituality to the perception of God is very different than when it was in Dwapara Yuga. So that means that our relationship with the Divine is not based or nothing outside ourselves. It's necessarily to have that communion with the Divine we don't need to give anything to anyone, we don't need to visit any place, we don't need to buy anyone in order to receive God's grace because now our approach to spirituality is as Yogananda put it the kingdom and as Jesus also said the kingdom of God is within us. That's where true spirituality can be lived Yogananda said the time for knowing God has come so if we start living on our spirituality in a very dwapara approach that means we need to practice those techniques that are in tune with the Dwapara approach also. Yogananda gave wonderful techniques that are in perfect attunement with the Dwapara Yuga consciousness with which is all about energy, is beyond form, beyond the senses and energization exercises, Hongso technique, Om technique, where you are able able to hear the sound of the chakras, Kriya Yoga practice is all about the energy flowing through the shushumna. I mean, there is nothing more Dwapara Yoga than these kind of techniques. So, if we really want to start having real inner conversations with god i mean when when we really want to be serious about the spirituality we need to start looking for practicing learning duapara yuga techniques because it's not going to work anymore with just tamasic techniques techniques that don't require our willpower our energy our enthusiasm So, I would say, if you have not yet explored any of these techniques, for example, energization exercise is one of the highest Dwapara Yoga techniques and Kriya Yoga, I would say, just go for it. Start feeling that presence of the Divine within you and no one else can do that work for you. So I would say from this chapter and we will explore more about it it's about tuning yourself and choosing those techniques that are in resonance with the energy of the world right now. Look for those Dwapara words Dwapara kind of music dwapara exercises and people who are trying to experience God beyond form beyond the temples beyond any form and I think we will grow spiritually faster is the time of energy And we need to start developing a relationship with the energy that is constantly flowing within us. And interact with the world at a much more vibrational level and at a much more energetic level. Where words are not as important as our thoughts our intentions, our love and good wishes for other people, that has power and if we know how to use that energy that is limited within each one of us, we can really change incredible circumstances and above all, our own Nowadays, time is passing by very quickly, even more than ten years ago. Even the concept of time is different. Now, one hour is hardly any time to do anything. Ten years ago, one hour was like, okay, I have enough time. So, our concept, conception, conception about life, time, space, is changing so if we don't catch up uh, how the world is going we are going to be left behind so let's go to work and let's start practicing those techniques that will put us really in readiness to absorb krishna's consciousness